This is E Boogie, the artist formerly known as Eric. You're now listening to Brown Men Won't Jump. Howdy, how y'all? Welcome to another episode of Brown Men Won't Jump. I'm Aswi, and joining me today is Eric. Yes, sir. You know, the funny thing is, I said that almost as a question. Like, it's Eric? What? Question, statement, it don't matter. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> so, Eric, um, what are you drinking now? I'm drinking the finest of rosés. Rosé, really? You know, I, I could never get into wine. It, it, for me, it's either Angry Orchards because they're sweet or shots of whiskey so that you know it's quick i I don't have a taste for for wines or things you got to sip at yeah i'm drinking a little bit of cougar juice today i thought i'll do something light and sexy for our vice president pod that we're about to commence so right i'm drinking out of this uh decanter that your brother got me for christmas which is pretty dope i never had a wine decanter but when i worked in restaurants we used it for presentation and also opening up the notes of the wine so i'm really happy to be drinking out of it what, so because of the shape, when you swirl it around, it like aerates it or something? Or how does that work? In theory, that's what it is. It's just supposed to be able to allow the, the wine to like set in a, an environment where it's supposed to be able to open up its full notes. I don't know the science behind that, honestly. I don't even know why someone thought about decanting wine, the first person to invent a decanter. But I will say for certain wines, particularly like reds, it does work. Interesting. Okay. Okay. Well, you guys heard it here. Decanter your wine, make the notes better or whatever. I'm not the best person to talk about this. But anyway, Eric, you kind of hinted at it. Today we're doing a President's Day pod. Now, to all our fans out there, or I guess American fans out there, happy President's Day to you all. So those of you who may remember, or anybody who hasn't heard it yet, our 17th episode, which released last year, was an episode where we compared NBA legends to U.S. presidents. Eric, a couple months ago, you approached me with a new concept for this year's presidents pod, and I thought it was such a fresh take. So why don't you explain to our audience what we're doing this year for President's Day? Okay, Oswee. So last year, of course... We compare presidents to number one players and their career trajectories and what the presidents did and their time in office. So I thought this year, since we already did presidents, a good idea would be to talk about vice presidents and talk about guys who were second fiddles at some point and compare their time as second fiddles to vice presidents throughout history. Eric, since this was your concept... I would love for you to actually get us started because this is something that you and I have been hyped about doing for months now. So the floor is yours. So my first comparison that I thought of was Al Gore to John Stockton. Okay. So first off, I thought they had some like physical similarities. So that was the the first easy thing to talk about. But both guys were second fiddles to guys that were a lot more famous than them, were more iconic, 
they're ranked a little higher than each of them as far as their impact politically, but both guys also had key things that they helped the president with, or in John Stockton's case, Carl Malone with, that they have a legacy that's still like important today. So John Stockton and Carl Malone, the key thing they're known for, they were pick and roll demons. So when you think of Utah Jazz teams, you think of John Stockton and Carl Malone killing people in the pick and roll. The Clinton administration, they were kind of revolutionary for their time. And on, on this point, Al Gore was Clinton's point man in the modernization of information technology and also putting emphasis on environmental and ecological policy. Of course, those are important because now we're in the information age, which a lot of the information age jargon that we use today was coined during the Clinton-Gore administration. And we're also dealing with something as important as climate change, which up until the 90s, of course, the EPA was made in 1970, but up until the 90s, we kind of weren't giving much credence to the fact that the environment was depleting at an exponential rate. Fun fact. Do you know who proposed the establishment of the EPA? Yeah, Richard Nixon. Ridiculous, huh? Pun intended. It's like that. I mean, he also was the president that affirmative action was started under. So, right. Yeah, it's, you know, (laughs) truth is stranger (laughs) than fiction, as they say. So I, I think those things are very interesting parallels, though I don't think Gore would, much like John Stockton, no one's going to rank him at the upper, upper echelon of vice presidents. And no one's going to rank John Stockton in the Mount Rushmore of NBA players. I still think his legacy with his running mate, helping and elevating his running mate, makes that comparison pretty apt. Also, if you think about it, the comparison becomes even more apt with the fact that both Stockton and Gore were running mates with two world-renowned degenerates. (laughs) Of course, everyone knows about Bill Clinton with his multiple sexual assault allegations and his infidelities. We all know about the impeachment hearings of 98 with Monica Lewinsky in the infamous black dress. And Karl Malone had a kid out of wedlock with the underage girl when he was 22 and she was 13. So yeah, the comparisons are, they're there. Not to mention he has a number of kids who he only recently recognized as legitimate or as his. And I think there might be some that he still doesn't recognize. I mean, (laughs) he had a son who played in the NFL for the Buffalo Bills offensive lineman. When he met the guy, and this is his son telling the story. Carl Malone infamously says to him, well, I wasn't there. So if you expecting some money, I can't do anything for you. This is a man who was making like a million dollars a year at the time. But Carl Malone meeting him instead of like apologizing for not being in his life, trying to have some mea culpa. His first thing is I have nothing to offer you. That tells you the yeah. type of person Carl Malone is. And of course, with Bill Clinton 
he was apparently friends with rest and piss jeffrey epstein so there's that yeah it's it's a pretty interesting comparison you know when when i think about a comparison for gore and, and clinton i would think about like a, a a pairing of two players who are almost redundant in how similar they are you know what i mean because the thing about gore and clinton that was very unique is you know usually when when you're thinking about who should be the running mate of a president you think about okay if if we have one guy from the north we should get some southern guy to kind of balance it off or you know if we have obama let's go with like an older white guy in biden right but with clinton and gore they were both southern guys who were very similar they they even looked kind of similar you know they're just two young strapping guys from the south ultra intelligent and yet somehow that was the perfect marriage of, of two possible people to win not one but two election campaigns but i will say this what they matched in similarities from where they were from gore was from tennessee of course clinton's from arkansas he was the governor of arkansas and both of them being white men from ivy league colleges of similar ages redundant they also had some ideological differences clinton being more of almost a blue dog democrat and in fact when he ran one of the things that he ran on was the fact that he could win conservatives because of his blue dog bona fides gore on the other hand with some of his pet projects as i said before being the advancement of internet the, inf the internet the information industry like modernizing technology an emphasis on ecological and environmental issues he had some bona fides that would be connected at the time. Remember, this is 1992. This is 30 years ago. Yeah. Th they were looked at as kind of pet progressive projects. So what they lacked in difference in a background, they also had some ideological core differences. Though it, it can be said that because Gore was so ahead of his time in some ways, because he strayed so far from the blue doggedness of Clinton, that's how he ultimately lost in the election of 2000 to Bush and Cheney because he he strayed a little too far away. Now, maybe 10 years later, had he had that same approach, he might have won or even even you know later. But at that time, it, it was just too far left of center left that it really kind of hurt him in the end. I mean, I, I just want to give a disclaimer. He lost because he legitimately got cheated. But that's a of course. Oh, easily. easily. <laughs> that's a that's a story for another time. But right, I do right. agree. The reason the 2000 election was so close is because yes, he made a concerted effort to distance himself. But I do want to say this distancing had a lot to do with the proceeding from two years prior impeachment hearings so it, it makes right. sense from a, a practical perspective for something that his running mate his you know the main guy was still carrying as some type of burden to distance himself from that so it's, it's always easy to look at history as you know an armchair perspective of having 2020 vision you know they say hindsight is always 2020 but at the time and i remember this legit political analysts were arguing that 
he needed to distance himself from Clinton to win the election. All right, so why don't we move on to one of my uh, picks here. Now, I had a different approach to this, Eric, than you did. I kind of looked at them not as as the, the second fiddle comparison necessarily, but rather a pairing. So while you are focusing on Gore, I would focus on Clinton and Gore, like the two of them together. So for my first comparison, I'm talking about John Adams and George Washington to Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan. Now bear with me here, right? When you think about Jordan and Washington, one was, I want to say basically universally loved and given most of the credit for the success of his team. The other was an absolute crucial part of the success of their team, but didn't receive nearly as much credit or adoration. Both Pippen and Adams suffer from having an ego, but not nearly amount of the respect that they probably deserve. I mean, let's be honest here. Both of them are invaluable part of their respective histories. The story of USA and the story of basketball can't be told without John Adams and Scottie Pippen. Now, John Adams as a president, or even as a vice president, you could say it wasn't really the most storied. Even when I was doing research for this pod, I was trying to find like some key thing that I could say, well, this is what Adams did as VP. And really, there wasn't that much he could do other than casting the most deciding votes by a vice president ever. For those of you who don't know, in the United States Senate, the president of the Senate is the vice president. And if there's ever a tie, so in today's era where there's 100 senators and it's 50-50 tie, the tie-breaking vote is cast by the vice president. So in U.S. history, the vice president who has cast the most tie-breaking votes is John Adams, the very first vice president, which is kind of crazy if you really think about it. But the comparison to Adams and Pippin does go a little further because I'm just thinking about what they've accomplished in their career as a whole. John Adams, he was a founding father, a revolutionary war leader, a Massachusetts delegate in the Continental Congress. He assisted in drafting the Declaration of Independence. He negotiated the peace treaty with England. He was also part of a number of diplomatic delegations, whether they were to France or to Russia or whatever. He was also the primary author of the Massachusetts Constitution, which heavily influenced the actual Constitution of America. Now you look at Pippen. This guy was three-time All-NBA first team, eight-time All-Defense first team, two-time All-NBA second team, two-time All-Defense second team, two-time All-NBA third team, six-time champion, seven-time All-Star, and All-Star game MVP. Both guys come into this having a hell of a resume, but history doesn't remember him that way. History remembers the guys that they either served under or served with. It depends how you want to, I guess, characterize the relationship. So yeah, that's, that's, that's what I got there. Adams, Pippen, Washington, Jordan. And, you know, it's interesting you you said that because John Adams does have quite the resume and on any historian's like rankings of vice presidents and rankings of presidents, he comes up fairly high. But, you know, I always think of him for these late night federal appointments when he was leaving office. Like, that's that's what I always think of. I don't think of the resume stuff that you just pointed out. I think of him as almost being a stopgap president between, of course, 
Washington and Jefferson. And then after Jefferson, Monroe, Madison, those guys, I, I don't really think of him as being in the upper tier of guys from the first couple of presidents. But by resume and the stuff that you're pointing out, he absolutely belongs. Right. I mean, he's one of the greatest founding fathers without question. I, there's no scenario where the American experiment in its infancy is able to be as successful as it is without him, right? And people, when they when they compare him, as at least as a president, to the Washingtons, Jeffersons, Monroes, Madisons, guys who are to this day held in such high regard as presidents, they look at him almost as like lesser than his peers. But in reality, he's shoulder to shoulder with them in just about any other way. And as a president, you know, it w- it didn't help that he wasn't the most respected necessarily. And also that as a president, he also had ideas similar to his son that were maybe a little bit ahead of their time. And that definitely was kind of a thorn in his side. And I guess that's where you would have the, of course, you said George Washington. So George Washington is Michael Jordan and him being Scottie Pippen, Scottie Pippen, as far as his evaluation with a lot of modern fans, I think most of them honestly are casual, but a lot of fans just think he was just there being carried by Michael Jordan. They don't realize he's legitimately one of the top three greatest perimeter defenders ever. They don't realize in the season that Michael Jordan was away for baseball slash gambling issues, who knows, that Scottie (laughs) Pippen actually took the Bulls to the second round of the playoffs against the New York Knicks. They forget this stuff. They forget that Scottie Pippen, also after he left the Bulls, took a fledgling Portland Trailblazers team to Game 7 of the Western Conference Finals against the eventual 3 Pete Los Angeles Lakers. They forget this stuff. Just like when I think of John Adams, the first thing I think of is the late-night federal appointments where he somehow tried to game the system by just flooding the, the federal bench with a bunch of guys that he was just going to sign overnight. So that's what I think of other than the resume (laughs) that you thought of. So, yeah. Eric, what's your next comp? So before we go to my next comp, I just want to say one thing, Oswee. It's funny. Your John Adams comp is fantastic with Scottie Pippen. But I was going to go a different route with that. Oh, so you have another John Adams comp? No, I have another Scottie Pippen comp. Oh, okay, okay. Lay it on me. So I compared Scottie Pippen to Henry Wallace. Interesting. I'm going to make this short. Of course, Henry Wallace, he was Secretary of Agriculture for the first two terms of Franklin Delano Roosevelt, who Franklin Delano Roosevelt, as far as legacy stuff, he's as Jordan-esque as a president as you're going to find outside of like Abe Lincoln, right? So two terms, he was Secretary of Agriculture. And while he was Secretary of Agriculture, he helped institute policies as the de facto point forward for the the Roosevelt administration that (laughs) helped alleviate the depression and allow farming subsidies that got the farming industry back on its feet. Now, during World War II, he was the vice president for Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And 
he was his point man with a lot of his diplomatic policies and spreading the message at home why the Roosevelt administration had the moral responsibility to be in World War II. Now, of course, he wasn't elected as the vice president. The Southern Democrats like fought against him being elected in 1945, or selected rather, for vice president. They picked Truman because Henry Wallace, he was against segregation. He was pro-working with communist regimes. A lot of other fairly progressive, because his politics were fairly progressive. He ran in 46, I said 46, 48 himself under the Progressive Party banner, just like Scottie Pippen ran as the head guy of the Portland Trailblazers, but ultimately ended up losing to the LA Lakers or Harry Truman in this comparison. So that was my comparison with it, but I, I love your John Adams comparison. Interesting. The, the thing about FDR is similar to Lincoln, as he said, he, he's a larger than life character, right? Just like Jordan, larger than life character. Now, most people, I mean, I didn't even remember that Wallace was even like involved at all. You know, like I, I just, I just kind of think like, oh, something was accomplished during the FDR years. That's FDR, right? And then of course, it's hard to forget who his last vice president was because it was Truman who took over once FDR died and he became the next president. It's interesting, though, because I don't want to say I take issue with the, the Pippin thing, because by what you said, it's 100%. Like, it's totally accurate. The only problem is Wallace doesn't have nearly the name recognition, because even people who don't know anything about basketball or might know about basketball at a surface level will know who Scotty Pippen is. You know what I mean? So my only issue, and this is why I pick Henry Wallace instead for Pippin, Because much like Pippen, Henry Wallace attempted to be the number one guy and he Uh, failed at it. John Adams actually became a number one guy. So for me, Pippen, like Henry Wallace, though ranked very highly amongst vice presidents, Henry Wallace is one of the, the greatest vice presidents. He still could never be the number one dude. So I think to me... They compare better. Yeah, I I see I see where you're going with that. I, I like I like it. I like it. That's a very funny point about the the need, the incessant need to be the number one guy that the Pippins of the world had. So, so actually, Eric, this next one was suggested to me by frequent Brown Men Won't Jump contributor Muss. He said that Anthony Davis is the Joe Biden to Obama's LeBron. But guess who the Mitch McConnell is? Because we, we, we wanted to add something a little extra here. Guess who Mitch McConnell is? Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, and just as a full disclaimer, I, I say this in full respect of Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook and Mitch McConnell are not anything alike, whether morally, whether anything. You know, Russell Westbrook is the freaking man. I'm a huge fan and I love Russell Westbrook. But this is a pretty funny comparison, and let me get into it. So the Obama-Biden administration was fairly successful, right? Just as Anthony Davis and LeBron James were. Now, the two of them, Obama and Biden, were extremely close. They're basically like family. And by all reports, we know that AD and LeBron are like boys. I mean, coming up, AD's favorite player of all time was LeBron James, despite being in Michael Jordan's 
Chicago, right? Like that's where AD's from. Now, the Obama-Biden administration, they were fairly successful overall, but they had one major success, which was the Affordable Care Act. Similar to how the Lakers, it was the 2020 NBA championship, you know, the bubble championship. Then along comes somebody who basically shuts down their agenda and prevents them from having any chance of success altogether. You know, the Obama-Biden administration, they, they were very successful. They came into the White House with Democrats controlling both the House and the Senate. And in the midterms, they ultimately lose the Senate. And in comes Mitch McConnell as the majority leader of the Senate and basically shuts down the Obama-Biden administration's agenda altogether. And similarly, the Russell Westbrook acquisition or trade or whatever, however you want to categorize it, basically shut down the Lakers from having any chance of success because as a result of him coming to the team, they have no picks, no assets. They are with a guy who needs the ball in his hands, who is the worst three-point shooter in NBA history. And now these guys are coming into this playoffs. Either they might not even make the playing game, but if they make the playing game and if they somehow make it to the playoffs, you really got to question how far they can go. So while there's all this potential with just the LeBron AD pairing, just as there's all this potential with the Obama Biden pairing, you have this one guy who effectively shuts down the agenda altogether. So. I'm just going to assume in this analogy, it would be almost as if Joe Biden and Barack Obama went and chose handpicked Mitch McConnell themselves (laughs) 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 to to be the Senate majority leader. (laughs) Yeah, although there are some people who believe this, there are some people who don't. There are some people who say that Mitch McConnell was kind of like the consequence of the Obama-Biden administration not doing more and taking more advantage of the fact that they had House and Senate and they didn't push enough of a, a, of a groundbreaking agenda. They, they were a little bit too conciliatory to Republicans. They wanted to work on both sides of the aisle when it was proven that once the other side of the aisle had power, they had no intentions of working with the Democrats at all. So unlike the the AD and LeBron actually making it happen and choosing Westbrook to come, the actions or I guess lack thereof of the Obama-Biden administration ultimately resulted in the Mitch McConnells of the world coming to power and preventing them from doing stuff. I can dig it. I, I don't have any problem with that comparison. I had a different one for, for Russ, but <laughs> that's also funny. And I like it. I like it a lot. But in the meantime, I'm going to move on to my next comparison. Sure. Lay it on me. I'm going to make sure I get this one out because since we've been doing our pods, I've been passive aggressively both saying that Kobe Bryant was one of the all-time greats, which he legitimately was, while also throwing little pot shots in at him. And this pot ain't going to be any different. So my next comparison is Kobe Bryant, and I'm hedging a little. I'm comparing him, and I'm going to say this is good Kobe and bad Kobe, to both Harry Truman and Dick Cheney. Wait, 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 wait. Say that again? I said I'm going to hedge a little, and I'm going to give you good Kobe and bad Kobe. And good Kobe is Harry Truman. Bad Kobe 
is Dick Cheney. Interesting. I I really need to. Okay. I really need to see you flesh this out. I'm going to, I'm going to flesh this out. I'm going to walk through it. So on the good Kobe perspective, good Kobe, like Harry Truman was the vice president for a president who was one of the more dominant, most influential presidents ever, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. So when the Lakers were winning their first three championships, Kobe was the consigliere of the Don Shaq. So that's the Harry Truman, Truman comparison. Kobe also, just like Harry Truman, when Harry Truman puts up the thing about, you know, the newspaper clipping about him losing the election when he actually won the election. Kobe had that moment where we all thought he was going to go to jail, but he ended up beating the case. So that's my Harry Truman comparison. He has his moments where he was all time great. He was he was an MVP. So just like Harry Truman becomes president, he pushes through a bunch of influential civil rights policy. You and I have spoken about this in the, the last president's part particularly about integrating the military, allowing people to be integrated into the federal government that was actually shut down by his predecessor, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Now, where you get bad Kobe, his Dick Cheney, Darth Vader comparison or Darth Sidious. (laughs) So much like Dick Cheney was always chosen as the vice president to kind of behind the scenes, like really he was supposed to run things. Kobe was drafted by Jerry West, even though he traded for Shaquille O'Neal to actually run that team. And just like Dick Cheney had wide swath control over the implementation and crafting a policy. Of course, we know Dick Cheney with the war in Afghanistan, the war in Iraq, better known as the proverbial war on terror. Kobe was able and given wide swath when he had disagreements with Shaq that culminated at some point in him calling for Shaq to be traded and the Lakers actually breaking up a dynasty and trading Shaq away. A dynasty that probably was good for a couple of more championships. Just like the Bush administration allowed Dick Cheney, who was previously, you know, a Secretary of State, Secretary of Defense under previous administrations to implement a policy objective that he had held true for himself for a long period of time. So for me, Kobe Bryant is two people. He's Truman. He's Dick Cheney. It depends on which Kobe you're getting. Well, before I say anything, I will warn you that you might draw the ire of not just one Kobe fan out there by comparing him to Dick Cheney. (laughs) I mean, I also compared him to Harry S. Truman, who was at some point affiliated with the Ku Klux Klan. So there's that. Right. That 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 is true. Although I don't think many people know that. It is true. Harry Truman was part of the KKK, though I think he like changed his mind on it. And it wasn't ever clear to what extent or how devoutly he was a member of it. From what I've gleaned, he left very early on. Yeah, that's that's what I thought. But I mean, look, you're part of it either way. Like that's at least a black mark on on your character, right? That being said, I do find it kind of interesting, you know, not to uh, disrespect the deceased. Although, you know, all these presidents, vice presidents, for the most part, I've been long dead. But, you know, Kobe Bryant is interesting because 
prior to his passing, he was he was respected, right? But there's a lot of people who didn't really like him. One, because he's known as kind of being an asshole, right? Like he was very dedicated to his craft to the point where he was just kind of cutthroat and an asshole, right? Like we we can look back and, and kind of appreciate that. And then also he did have that assault allegation. But then when we see him later in life, he's very much like, you know, all about the girl dad. And, and he was a huge supporter of the WNBA. Yeah. Awesome. You just made a great comparison there. You see how you just said that Kobe later in life was all about the girl dad stuff. You know what I've seen people point out about Dick Cheney recently is that Dick Cheney, because he has a lesbian daughter, he supports gay marriage and stuff. Yeah, even during his time as as a vice president, you know, he always supported his daughter. He was sympathetic toward it, but from a political standpoint, you know, he even allowed Liz Cheney, his other daughter, the one who is now being attacked by Republicans, he was perfectly fine with her campaigning against it. And and during the presidential campaigns of 2000 and 2004, he was very protective of his daughter because she was a lesbian. He didn't want to come out as directly against it. And, and you know, he made requests to make sure he was out of those type of conversations. To me, the thing about Kobe is I don't think I could use a president that has too many policy wins to describe him nor can i use a president that has too many policy losses to describe him like kobe at his worst was one of the most destructive players to a team and his concept that has ever existed kobe at his best is one of the greatest winningest players of all time so he has these like broad polarizing dichotomies about him it's almost like a like drastic ass yin and yang where i didn't think one president could encapsulate who he was so i used two and i do think the stretch of time particularly from 2004 to about 2008 kobe bryant was definitely on his dick cheney time and and those laker years and I know they were fun Laker years. It also happened to coincide with his 81-point game. But those Laker years, being a Lakers fan, I, I can imagine if you were a true Lakers fan, those couldn't have been great years. So to me, those would have been Dick Cheney years. At the same time, the rest of his career, the 96 to 2003, that would have been Truman as a vice president. And then 2009 to the rest of his career, that would have been Truman as a president. So that's that's where my thinking was going with it. I just feel like Kobe just fits different type of, depending on how you look at his career, he, he can be here or there. Yeah, Eric, so staying true to your comparison, what is the equivalent of dropping the atomic bomb in Kobe's career? Dropping an atomic bomb is definitely the Shaq trait. Definitely. Yeah. It was, so think about it. Dropping the atomic bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki decimated civilian populations and made the Japanese almost sue for peace within a couple of days. Not almost. They did sue for peace in a couple of days. Yeah. Now, we know that the United States, looking at it from a modern historical perspective, and I, I will say this is hindsight 2020, but a lot of historians have spoken about this. They didn't actually need to drop those bombs Part of the reasoning was 
a show of strength to the USSR. And the fact that they would have had some casualties, but it, it looked as if their casualties would have been minimal at best because the war effort in Japan was just grounding to a halt. Just like Kobe Bryant, of course, he didn't need to break up that team with Shaq. He wanted to break up that team with Shaq. He wanted to show that he was the alpha dog and that it was his time to shine, but he didn't need to. I think they were at least good for another championship, maybe two, but he dropped the proverbial bombs anyway. It was a little Dick Cheney there too. It was a little Dick Cheney there too. It was almost like Dick Cheney advocating, you know, with his team of neocons, Paul Wolfowitz and and the like, to invade Iraq in 2003. Was it a necessity? No. Are we going to make up lies about why it needs to be done? Absolutely yes. But we're going to do it anyway. Yep, yep. Eric, I also have a Kobe comparison. Do you remember those Lakers teams with Nick Young, a.k.a. Swaggy P, with Kobe? How can I forget? Iggy Azalea is now dating another Laker. Malik Monk just came out today. Oh, well, I I didn't know about that, but... Well, I compare Nick Young and Kobe to Dan Quayle and George H.W. Bush. So bear with me for a second. One was a well-respected elder statesman who had accomplished much in his career at that point. Kobe, five-time champion, two-time finals MVP, one-time league MVP, four-time all-star game MVP, 11-time all-NBA first team, nine-time all-defense first team, Two-time All-NBA second team, three-time All-Defense second team, two-time scoring champ. H.W. Bush, decorated World War II pilot, member of the House, UN ambassador, Republican National Committee chair, chief of the U.S. Liaison's office to China, CAA director, 43rd VP under Reagan. The other was a young clown, Swaggy P., was the de facto leader of an atrocious Lakers team those years when Kobe was out with his, I think it was an Achilles injury one year. He had a couple injuries where he was out. And I mean, this guy has endless amounts of funny moment compilations on YouTube. And there's even this one famous clip where I think Kobe's on Kimmel and the Lakers were on like a 10 game losing streak and they finally won. It's like Swaggy P, Jeremy Lin, and... uh some other guy, like Jordan Hill or something, and they're like, oh, we won, blah, blah, blah. They're going crazy, and they show Kobe, and Kobe's just, like, absolutely disgusted. And that really reminded me kind of of, of Dan Quill, who nobody in their right mind took seriously at all. I mean, he was known as, like, a gaff machine, and just like Nick Young, Dan Quill has endless amounts of funny moments compilations on YouTube. Like, there's there's one time in a vice presidential debate in the 1988 election where he compared himself to JFK and the other VP candidate whom he was debating was like, I know Jack Kennedy and you, sir, are no Jack Kennedy. And it was like the ultimate mic drop moment. So in this analogy is Byron Scott, Lloyd Benson. It was Lloyd Benson who told him that from Texas. Is, yeah. is that Byron Scott? Because Byron Scott, you know, is a, a lead member of the Church of Kobe, and he was coaching that team with Nick Young and the boys. Well, I mean, listen, listen I, I grew up 
following the Nets, you know, like they were the New Jersey team and Byron Scott was the coach. And it's like an offense to the Lakers or to any team to hire Byron Scott as your coach to begin with. But I guess for the sake of this analogy, I think you hit the nail right on the head. Byron Scott was basically Benson. That's a hilarious analogy. And I think it's perfect to use Nick Young, a player who, while fun and memorable, had a fairly insignificant career. I think it's the perfect analogy to compare him to Dan Quill, a guy, while notable for, like you said, gaffes and these like pop culture moments. Yep. To compare Nick Young to that guy. Perfect, perfect analogy. That was on the money. Yeah, I I figured you'd enjoy that one. I mean, especially because it was like Bush and Quail and Kobe and Nick Young are just like, you couldn't think of two more different people, but somehow somebody thought, yeah, this is a good idea. Let's put this guy with that guy. And they thought somehow it would succeed. I mean, those Lakers teams were terrible. And, you know, H.W. Bush is not ranked highly on the president's list. And they only served one term. So in some ways, you could say it was almost like a failed presidency. Big facts. So Eric, give me another one. So Oswe, you and I talk about this all the time and you you make fun of it because I make fun of you about your insistence on mentioning Ulysses S. Grant. This is my boy, of course. It's your boy, Blue. It's your boy. <laughs> but you know me and there's one guy in the annals of American history that's largely forgotten about, that I always bring up. Come on, Oswe, help me out. You know this. Buchanan? No, 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 no. It's the other guy. Oh, 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 Andrew Johnson. No, Oswe, you ain't helping out today. Miller Fillmore! Oh, oh, yeah, I'm I'm actually ashamed. Yeah, Fillmore, we always always (laughs) make memes about him together. Yeah, Miller Fillmore. I compared him, you're going to think this is, this is wild. I compared him to Stefan Marbury. Stefan Marbury <laughs> of Starbury fame. Oh my God. So hear me out. Hear me out. What do we know Stefan Marbury for? Stefan Marbury is known for a couple of things. Of course, he made a couple of all NBA teams. Three in fact, but we don't really think about that. We his think tattoo about, on his head? We think about the tattoo on his head. We yeah. think about his short time with KG. They were supposed to build this great young team that was supposed to go roughshod over the West at some point. Wait, wait. We also remember, you know, the great NBA ballers. You ever play that game? Of, of course I play a. NBA ballers. ballers. Of course I play NBA ballers. We also think about the fact that he played in New York with the Knicks, and he also played in New Jersey with the Nets. Had some seasons in Phoenix. But while with the Knicks, he had just a chaotic period where part of the time, like, the organization was getting sued and he was being dragged into lawsuits. And then he kind of, like, reinvented himself of sorts, but he re- reinvented himself in China where... They apparently, like, revere him. But while in China, we know him best stateside for the time that he got on the internet and he ate, like, a tub of Vaseline. You remember the tub of Vaseline, Oswe? Yeah, he's a freaking clown, man. 
a weird, weird man. Yeah. I feel like Millard Fillmore fits some trajectory of Stephon Marbury. So Millard Fillmore, who was like in many political positions in New York, he ran with Zachary Taylor, who served a very short presidency. But leading up to that presidency, there was a lot of hope that the Northern and Southern connection between Fillmore and Teller would be able to bridge some of the almost like secessionist talks that were gaining ground at the time. Well, didn't happen. Zachary Teller died fairly quickly. Miller Fillmore comes in. And the best thing Miller Fillmore is known for is the Compromise of 1850 that tried to figure out how we were going to like tamper down the secessionist talks and decide which states that had been ceded from the Mexican territory were going to be slave states. So they made some compromise. Um, I will argue that Miller Fillmore acquiesced to some of the more like slave owning members of Congress. And it did nothing more than set the framework where we had a policy that no one could really come into total agreement, the North factions and the Southern factions. And we ended up having a civil war literally 11 years later. So just like stuff on Marbury, who started out with a lot of potential, is known for those like crazy things, those crazy gaffes, the eating the Vaseline, the tattoo on the side of his head. He's known for that. Miller Fillmore is only known for the fact that he punted the ball, had the compromise of 1850 that led to subsequent presidents like Pierce, Franklin Pierce, who came after him, and then James Buchanan, arguably outside of Andrew Johnson, the worst president of all time. Uh, well, said, I, I, huh? I don't know about that, but the, the last bit is... Is debatable. Uh, I mean, I, I guess you could argue maybe a recent he, guy, a recent guy could no, you know, that recent that that, that that recent guy, that recent guy is like saying that Moses Malone is better than Michael Jordan. Yeah, he's greatly bad, but he ain't Michael Jordan a bad. So I'm just saying Miller Fillmore with the compromise of 1850 set that standard. And I will argue. Starberry and his time in New York, and he was a big free agent acquisition. His time in New York set the standard for the Knicks in the last two decades, going after players that they have some star power, but they not really that guy. You're not that guy, pal. You're not that guy. That was Starberry. You know, it's interesting because, well, for starters, to our listeners, Please look up Millard Fillmore because the resemblance between him and um, I see his face in my in my mind. I can't remember his name, though. God damn it. He looked like Tommy because Lee Jones. He doesn't look like Tommy Lee Jones. He looks like a exact identical to Alec Baldwin. Oh, my bad. I was thinking about Zachary Teller. And, and you are right. Millard Fillmore does look like Alec Baldwin. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Although, although it is funny that you say Zachary he Taylor looks, looks like... He looks like a fatter version of uh, Alec Baldwin, but they do look alike. This is wild. Yeah, dude. That's like the first thing I think about when I think of Millard Fillmore. I'm like, oh yeah, the guy who looks like Alec Baldwin. But the interesting thing is, 
even though Zachary Taylor was the Southern guy and Millard Fillmore is the Northern guy, you'd think their sensibilities would be the Southern guy is pro-slavery and the Northern guy is pro-abolition. That's also part of the the strategy behind running Zachary Taylor as the presidential candidate because everyone thought this guy is a staunch proponent of slavery. But in reality, when he came to power, he was like one of the most outspoken against it. He was just like shitting all over it. And he had plans to actually kind of curb back slavery. Maybe not. I don't know if necessarily he would have freed slaves, but he was somebody who was very much against slavery. Unfortunately, he died because he had a was like a stomach bug or something because he had some old milk or, yeah, or something. Yeah. Homeboy died 16 months into his presidency because he got the stomach flu. But, you know, back then, motherfuckers used to die from, like, a little fever. So, it is what it is. Yeah, so it was really interesting how they ended up flipping in ideology, or at least what people thought their ideology would be. Another fun fact about Millard Fillmore is he's actually the person who made Brigham Young the first governor of Utah. You know... Brigham Young, like the leader of the Mormon church. So I guess you could say he had a hand in making Utah all Mormon. Or you could say he had a a hand in creating Steve Young. Steve Young is like the great, great, great grandson of Brigham Young. Interesting. Well, I guess uh, your fellow Niners fans might be kind of happy that Millard Fillmore did that. No, we're not excited about Millard (laughs) Fillmore at all. He sucked. Just like stuff on Marbury. All right, so it's my turn now. I have a lot of really good ones. I'm not sure which I want to do next. You know what? I'm going to have fun with this. Now, Eric, do you know who Hannibal Hamlin is? Yeah, he was a vice president from Maine. He was, yeah. Was he like the, he would have been the 15th? Uh, he was Lincoln's first VP in, in yes. Lincoln's first term. So he would have been the 15th. So Johnson was the 16th. Got it. So when I was looking up lists of like, you know, just worst vice presidents of all time or just, you know, vice presidential lists. And the more I did research on him, this is a guy who really reminds me of a a recent situation that was taken care of in, in Philadelphia. And let me see if you can guess where I'm going with this. All right. Hamlin was a do nothing politician. He preferred to use his status to grant favors and have fun. He spent most of his time with his family in Maine during the Civil War. And the only time he actually joined the war effort was in 1864 when he served for three months on the Coast Guard before quitting. He wasn't exactly a scrub. I mean, he served in the House, Senate, and as Maine's governor. He often complained to his wife that he was, quote, the most unimportant man in Washington, ignored by the president the cabinet and Congress. And while he did nothing, the main guy was giving their all. The main guy in in, in Hamlin's case was Lincoln was giving his all to keep everything together and carried the nation on his back. And Lincoln was the best president ever. So do you get where I'm going with this? Unfortunately I do. And you're comparing him to Ben Simmons And, and you're a, you're a horrible person for this. I am a horrible person. There's no disputing that. But I just thought this was funny, right? So, you know, Hamlin preferred to use his status to grant favors and have fun. Ben prefers to be a celebrity rather than work on his game. 
Hamlin spent most of his time with his family in Maine during the Civil War. Ben has been at home most of the season and only joined the effort briefly in that infamous practice where he was sent home early by Glenn Rivers. Kind of like how Hamlin served for three months and then quit. Though I will make a disclaimer, Ben did attend shoot-arounds and film sessions when it was required, so he didn't get fined extra for that. He only had get fined for missing games. Now, Hamlin wasn't a scrub. He had quite a resume. And Ben is a three-time All-Star, two-time first-team All-Defense, one-time third-team All-NBA, one-time NBA Steals leader, Rookie of the Year. You know, Hamlin complained that he was the most unimportant man in Washington, ignored by the President, Cameron, and Congress. Ben was the most unimportant man in the Sixers locker room, whose complaining was ignored by Embiid, the team, and the coaches. You know, while Hamlin and Simmons did nothing, Lincoln and, and Embiid gave their all to keep everything together and carried the nation and franchise on their back. Lincoln was the best president, and Embiid, you can make an argument, has been the best player this season. So when I saw those comparisons, I just thought, let me have a little bit of fun at the expense of Ben Simmons because, you know, after this, I've turned the page. It's a new chapter in Philadelphia. Well, if you want to have fun with Ben Simmons, I just want to say Aaron Burr, one of the most despised second fiddles in American history. He was Thomas Jefferson's vice president. You mean Aaron Burr, sir? Aaron Burr. Him, uh, he, uh, he murked uh, Alexander Hamilton fame. Yep. But that Aaron Burr, I would compare him to Mo Williams. Maurice Williams, who was signed to be a second fiddle for LeBron James, but shit the bed on a 66-win team in 2009 and stopped LeBron James for getting to the finals, which would have been a legendary finals against Kobe Bean Bryant and lost to the Orlando Magic where LeBron averaged like a 35-point triple-double. So I just want to say, forget you, Mo Williams, Aaron Burr. You know, you've been talking to me for like weeks about, oh, yo, I have a Mo Williams comparison. And honestly, I kind of feel like that's offensive to Aaron Burr. Oh, I get it. Because at least when it came to the playoffs, Aaron Burr, he don't miss his shots. Yeah, basically. I mean, (laughs) it's true. He hit his shots. What did Mo Williams do? That's true. And also... Aaron Burr definitely had accomplished more in his career prior to the murder than Mo Williams did in the entirety of his career. In a way, yes. But even if you look at the constitutional framers and the guys who became presidents early on, vice presidents early on, to me, for the first five or so presidents and vice presidents, Aaron Burr actually has one of the smaller resumes and in fact when i think of aaron burr i usually think of him for the fact that after he shot hamilton he attempted to lead some type of rebellion against the fledgling united states i don't really think of him as someone who was fundamental to setting the frameworks that built the new nation which pretty much all of the guys who were vice presidents and presidents from the first five they were all instrumental. No, no, no doubt. No doubt. I mean, you're, you're comparing giants to this relatively little man, right? But in favor but, of Burr. But, but his gun's big. Right. But in favor to Burr, although I, I never thought I would be defending Burr necessarily. That's a 
very interesting way how, how this pod has turned out. You know, he was a vice president. He was a U.S. senator. He was the third attorney general of New York. So, you know, he had some stuff on his resume. He he was even an officer in the Revolutionary War, right, as part of the Continental Army. You know who he served under initially? Who? Benedict Arnold. <laughs> fair, fair. I'm just saying Mo Williams doesn't even have anything of note. I, I guess he has a, a chip in 2016, but that doesn't really count. It's not really his accomplishment necessarily. Honestly, I forgot Mo Williams was on that team. Yeah, he was number 52, and I remember that because LeBron broke a 52-year drought in Cleveland. It's hilarious because I just wanted to slander Mo Williams, really, but it seemed like you took it as me slandering Aaron Burr, which is hilarious. Exactly. It is funny how it turned out. I mean, those guys are both ripe for slander. Don't get me wrong. It's just that you ended up slandering one more than the other. I can dig it. I can see that. I definitely did. One is more accomplished than the other, but I think they're both in their own respective spheres kind of reviled by certain fan bases. Easily. Easily. So let's talk about people who are loved by fan bases, right? Eric, you're going to think I'm not creative, but I have another Jordan comparison. And it's not necessarily Jordan as the number one guy, but rather Jordan as the number two guy. Teddy Roosevelt was the Jordan to McKinley's Orlando Woolridge. Before Michael Jordan was drafted in the 1984 season, there was a guy named Orlando Woolridge who was the number one option, and he played three years on the Chicago Bulls. Now, Orlando Woolridge was not a bad player. I mean, he scored 13,000 points in the league and was averaging 19.3 points per game in the 1983-84 season. That's literally the season just before Jordan was picked third overall in the draft. Similarly, William McKinley was a member of the House of Representatives. He was the Ohio governor and the 25th president. Yet, similar to Orlando Woolridge, William McKinley was eternally in the shadow of his successor. Because once that guy came, it was clear who the number one guy was. Michael Jordan, he's the GOAT. He was the right man to usher in a new era to bring the league to new heights. He's a legend and an icon and one of the most memorable to ever do it. Similarly, Teddy Roosevelt was a visionary and he came into power after William McKinley was assassinated. I think it was like six months into his second term of his presidency. and. Teddy Roosevelt ended up being the right man to usher in the 20th century to bring the country to new heights, and similar to Jordan, was a legend and an icon and one of the most memorable to ever do it. So while McKinley and Woolridge were no scrubs, they'll just always be under the shadow of their successor. Okay, so the only thing I would say, what's the comparison between McKinley catching a bullet to the heart and dying? I mean, I guess... Woolridge only stayed on the Bulls for only like a season or two after Jordan was drafted. So I guess that was the proverbial bullet. I'll take it. It's allowed. (laughs) (laughs) So Eric, that is all of my comparisons. But if you have any more good comparisons that you've been holding on to, by all means, give it to us. However, before you do that, I do have a fun fact. James Buchanan, 
the 15th president, the president before Lincoln and the guy who basically allowed the South to secede. He was the only bachelor president and he lived for 10 years with Franklin Pierce's first vice president, William R. King, who was also known as the only bachelor VP. They were known as Siamese twins and there was a lot of speculation that they may have been lovers. Yes, I mean, I think, and it's impossible to go back in time to even, like, with sure accuracy say what's right or wrong as far as, like, reporting on these type of, like, relations. But I think there's enough subtext, and even if you look at, like, primary source documentation, like newspaper clippings and and stuff from the time, they had a relationship that it seems to me that it was hinted at that they were in an intimate relationship. And, you know, they're ahead of their time. I wish that it wasn't from a prominent, like, supporter of slavery. But, yeah, you win some, you lose some. So, yes, he is very important, I think, much like how log cabin Republicans have named themselves log cabin Republicans after the fact that Lincoln, for many years earlier in his bachelor life, lived in, reportedly, a cabin with a gentleman that people thought he had an interesting relationship with. James Buchanan apparently had a, a similar arrangement, even though he was a lifelong bachelor where Lincoln actually, at some point, got married. Yeah, I mean, it, it extends even further. Like, on a number of occasions, they would be each other's plus ones. Uh, that's Buchanan and, and King. And in interviews, and, and, and there's even quotes, they seem to imply that they know each other on a much deeper level. So, I mean, it's it's a cool, fun fact. You should see some of their personal letters to each other. If they're, like, if you look online, they're there to be perused, but they're quite interesting. I'll just say, and maybe it was the style of the time, but I don't think I I, I write texts to you and AC in the, the manner that they wrote letters to each other. So, eh, something to think of. Yep. Well, love is love. You know, good for them. Hope they had a great time together. Uh, wish they didn't support slavery back in the day. and Wish Buchanan didn't let the South secede the way he did. But you know what? Love is love, baby. Actually, I, I will say one thing. It was actually good in the long run that the South seceded or they would have had slavery for decades more. Hmm. Well, interesting take that uh, secession was good, but I, I guess you're right. It, it kind of kickstarted what should have happened a long time earlier and would have otherwise taken countless decades to actually come to play. So, Oswe, just to add on before we go, you mentioned Russell Westbrook. And you mentioned him in the, in the role of Mitch McConnell. But I also had a Russell Westbrook comp that I thought was okay. very interesting. Uh-huh. And I actually compare Russell Westbrook to George H.W. Bush. In what way? So, George H.W. Bush, you actually know him mostly from the fact that he was the two-time vice president under Reagan. Much yep. how a huge, like pocket of Russell Westbrook's career he was the second fiddle under Kevin Durant right some of his so, most famous years were under Kevin Durant but much like George H.W. Bush who ended up 
at the end of Reagan's two terms running for president and winning against Michael Dukakis in 88, Russell Westbrook became his own guy, the the dawn of Oklahoma City when Kevin Durant ran off to Golden State to play with Stephen Curry. And just like George H.W. Bush initially had a great win for his legacy with the Gulf War where he defeated Saddam Hussein and, you know, the so-called 30-day war, Russell Westbrook early on in his tenure without Kevin Durant was able to win an MVP. But just like George H.W. Bush subsequently after that tanked the economy, they ended up losing an election to Bill Clinton because of the tanking of the economy where Bill Clinton told him, you know, it's the economy, stupid. Actually, that wasn't Bill Clinton, but that was one of his surrogates, James Carville. But it was a big campaign issue between the two, between Clinton and George H.W. Bush. Russell Westbrook, since he's won that MVP in his subsequent years, he's kind of failed. So he failed with the Rockets. He's failed with the Wizards. Right now, he's failing with the Los Angeles Lakers, a team that people thought would be one of the better teams with him going into the year. So to me, their trajectory kind of match up, where as second fiddles, they were both looked at as elite guys. They were elevated to the presidency. Russ was elevated to being a number one and an MVP guy. And then on the back end, they've done nothing but falter. I guess your point is that they reached some level of grace and then their fall from grace was unceremonious and quick and just kind of made them look bad on the back end altogether. Absolutely. And think of it. In the modern NBA, guys at 32, 33, they're still relatively in their prime. Now, if you had gone back 35 years ago, you had a lot of guys, you know, you're you're in your early 30s. You're in the back end of your career. You're in your golden girls years. You're in the twilight years. But Russ is an anomaly. He's in the NBA where guys in their early 30s are still averaging 25 plus a game. Russ is clearly not the player now that he was back when he was 29, 30. So I think just like George H.W. Bush, who had a mandate from a very popular president in Ronald Reagan, and that mandate from the first two years of his presidency, George H.W. Bush, where it seemed like he was a world beater, he had just won this war, he was fairly popular, Russ and him in the short back end, very quick as you said, they're very unpopular, their legacy is frowned upon, and they're looked at as guys that were a bit of one-hit wonders. Wow, that's an apt comparison. Now, I do have a question for you. If Reagan is the Durant here, does that make Draymond Green Nancy Reagan? Uh, I can't even tell you why. I don't even want to get into the Nancy Reagan comparison, considering what the internet was saying a couple of months ago. And I just, I don't even want to touch that, boss. You know where I'm going with that. I do know where you're going with that. And I'm not biting on that at all. I'm not touching that. No way. Yeah, well, perhaps that's wise. (laughs) (laughs) Well, on that note, I think that's a great place to stop today's episode. Honestly, Eric, the President's Pod is one of my favorite episodes that we do now two years in a row, and this is something we're going to do every year. 
I, I can't wait to see what we come up for next year's episode, but just, you know, shooting the shit with you, talking about presidents, you know, really flexing our history nerd muscles. It's just, it's just so much fun. Oh, I honestly immensely look forward to these pods. It's one of the few times of year where us who are kind of like history geeks can talk about history while melding it with one of our favorite pastimes, basketball. So I really enjoy these pods. With that, guys, I hope you all enjoyed as much as we did in producing this. Be sure to like, comment, rate, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And make sure to hit us up by emailing us at brownmenwontjump at gmail.com or on Instagram at brownmenwontjump. We'll catch you in the next one. And stay safe, guys. Deuces! Please, Glenn Rivers, don't screw this up.